The book of Revelation is probably the most exciting book in all the scriptures. In the Come Follow Me for 2023, we studied the New Testament. Think of this. The whole New Testament leads up to the book of Revelation. I'm Sam Bracken, your host, and our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who has studied the book of Revelation through the lens of the temple. In Revelations 4, John the Revelator has a vision of the heavenly temple and the great council in heaven. In this episode, we will be discussing what happens in that council. Breck, so far in Revelation, we've seen John go through the temple initiatory ordinances. What happens after that? Well, what happens in the temple? Once you're washed, anointed, clothed, and given a new name, where do you go? Well, you, you go through the endowment. You learn how the world was created, and you take upon yourself covenants, and you, um, you progress through the telestial, terrestrial, and to the celestial glories, and you're presented at a veil to enter into the presence of God. Like, that's the way I remember it. That is exactly right. So that's what happens now. In John chapter 4, John starts that journey through the temple. Verses 2 and 3 in chapter 4. A door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. So John goes through a door into a space representing the heavenly temple. Here he sees a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And around them are ten thousand times ten thousand thousands of souls. Okay, so where are we? I would imagine that's heaven. Exactly. We're in the heavenly council chamber. Okay. Where Father is laying out his plan for our salvation. Now, this is what we call the council in heaven. What, what it really is, is a family council. Because everyone there is a child of God. So, what does this heavenly council chamber look like? We see it illustrated in the Pearl of Great Price in the book of Abraham. Facsimile number two. Now, you might want to follow along with us here and open your Pearl of Great Price to page 36, where you'll see facsimile number two. It is a circular image of heaven with uh, a throne in the center. It represents a disc, and that disc represents the eternal round of the heavens, okay, or the cosmos. And it's presided over if you look carefully into the middle of the picture, you'll see a central ram-headed figure uh, with antlers, like a ram. Now, that figure is no, was known to the Egyptians as the great god Amun, who is the, quote, king of the gods and creator of the world and its inhabitants. Now, the name Amun means hidden one, one you cannot see because he's behind a veil. He's the hidden one, the unknown one, the inaccessible one, seated on his throne at the center of the circle. 
And his name meant that which is concealed or unseeable because he remains hidden behind this veil. Now, Joseph Smith said that the central figure, which he he calls figure one, represents the heart of the universe, which is kolob. Now, that's the place where God dwells. No one knows what that word kolob means, but one theory that I like is that it's related to the Semitic word for heart. So it's like the heart of the universe. Another theory that I like is that it was the Egyptian name for Sirius, the, which is the brightest star in the sky. And, and that star Sirius symbolized a new life. Uh, it rose along with the rise of the Nile in uh, the, the annual flooding of the fields so that it represented new life and new, new fertility. And maybe, maybe both of those theories are true, uh, since we're talking about a polyvalent symbol, remember what we meant right, by that? Right, right, right. Okay. Note that God's throne is inside a square space. It's like in a box. It's a, like a cube. And I want you to remember that because Kolob is the holy of holies in the oh. universal temple. Oh, okay. wow. That's really cool. In the temple in Jerusalem, the holy of holies was perfectly cubical. So the figure in the middle of the picture is God the Father seated behind the veil in the Holy of Holies. Why does he look like a ram? Well, rams were considered symbols of power. You can see the horns on the head, which were symbols of strength and virility. Uh, So the horned ram was an appropriate symbol for the god Amun, the great god Amun. Now look again at the picture, and you'll see that Amun has four faces So he can see in four directions at once. Uh, One expert says he views and embraces the whole expanse of the universe. So Amun is not always a ram. He's often depicted as a man, enthroned like a pharaoh, with the crown of a sky god on his head. Now in Revelation 3.14, John says that the voice inviting him into the temple is the voice of the Amun, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now in Hebrew, the Lord identifies himself as the Amun, the beginning of God's creation, and that's in Proverbs 8.30. So in Egyptian and Hebrew, you have all these variations of this name, Amun, Amun, Amen, And all these variations are of the name of God, okay? Now, what's fascinating is that Joseph Smith says that the name of God is Amun, and and that's in the Doctrine and Covenants. So you have all these versions of this name Amun in in Doctrine and Covenants 78, uh, 95, 116. You run into this name, and Jesus Christ is called the Son of Amun. Amun represents the eternal father who is veiled from our view. In the Egyptian religion, the souls of the righteous dead would journey toward the presence of this supreme god, Amun, who brought the whole cosmos into existence, and he sits in the middle of this great council. So the Egyptians and Joseph Smith used the same name for God, something like Amun. How would Joseph Smith know that name? He wouldn't have known it. Nobody knew it in his time. 
It, it was an Egyptian word. Nobody knew Egyptian in Joseph's time, except for a few very, very um, expert people in Europe. Uh, it came to him by revelation, okay? It's one of the signs of Joseph Smith's calling that he knew the ancient name of God that no one else knew. Wow. Now, the heavenly figure God first creates is called Atum in Egyptian religion. Atum. So there's Amun, the supreme God, and he creates another God called Atum. Now, Hugh Nibley is the great um, LDS uh, theologian. He says, It is hard to avoid hearing the name Adam for that of Atum. And he quotes an Egyptologist named Eugene Lefebvre, who identifies Atum with the biblical Adam. So the Egyptian temple rite, as it says in the book of Abraham, quote, imitates that order established by the fathers in the first generations, even in the reign of Adam. So it is Adam's whole purpose to return to his father, Amun. By the way, that is how the Egyptians got this, these names and this version of the endowment, because it was passed down to them through their fathers, and it eventually became garbled and they lost the understanding of it, but you can see it in outline in their religion. John Hall, who's an LDS scholar, he says this, in the Egyptian temple ceremonial, Atum makes a covenant with the head god, Amun, and that Amun will give him eternal life. The ritual cleansing, anointing, and clothing of initiates, and traversing the cosmos through ascent, all serve the ultimate purpose of returning the temple initiates to Amun, where at the end of the temple rite, they would ceremonially be seated upon Amun's throne to receive crowns of godhood. Close wow. quote. That's very okay. cool. So the Egyptians had the plan of salvation. They did. They had a, Well, they had a form of it, passed down from Adam to his descendants, right? Mm -hmm. This heavenly council scene in chapter 4 makes the whole book a revelation, an unveiling of the Father's plan, you see? Mm -hmm. and, and that's why it's called revelation, apocalypsis, which means the unveiling, right? right. The unveiling of the Father's plan plan. A really great French Bible scholar, his name is Jacques Ellul, and he's not a Latter-day Saint, he makes this remarkable observation. Quote, the plan takes shape in a kind of council in heaven before the event takes place on earth. Now, isn't that interesting? <laughs> this yeah. non-LDS scholar knows this from reading the, the ancient documents, he says. Here, the one at the center overviews the whole test of mortality and presents to the family the great enabler of the plan, Jesus Christ, close quote. So here is a non-LDS scholar who sees in Revelation chapter 4 the pre-mortal council that sets up the plan that will unfold on the earth. Now, real scholars know what that stuff is all about. Now, let's look at the symbolism of this scene. John first describes, quote, a throne set in heaven and a person sat on the throne. 
and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. What do these gemstones and rainbows signify? Well, they, they weren't just any pretty rocks, okay? <laughs> they were sunstones, mm. stones that symbolized the sun to ancient people. The, the sardius stone and the jasper stones, were um, they looked like the sun to them because of their brilliant um, golden yellow color. They were also the first and last stones in the high priest's breastplate in the temple of Jerusalem. They were like the alpha and omega stones. Oh, wow. Okay? The halo of emerald that goes around the throne um, connotes light, truth, and wisdom. Now, the emerald, it's probably not translated properly because experts on ancient stones, gemstones, say that it was probably not an emerald. John was probably actually describing a lapis lazuli, which is a rare uh, gemstone. And that represented the heavens with its deep blue-green color. And the rainbow around the throne, well, that would be a token of God's covenant with his children, that he will save them from destruction, right? Mm. As, as we see in the story of Noah. That makes sense. So this is the setting for our temple drama. Remember, we're in a theater, and we're going to see a play. Many Greek plays start with the king on a throne on stage in front of the, the skene, or the backdrop, surrounded by a chorus of subjects, and we're seeing here the grand throne room scene, as you would in a play, uh, with the ruler in the center enthroned like a pharaoh, okay, with his subjects encircling him. Like spectators in a theater. Exactly, like spectators in a theater. Now think of the temple endowment. And you can picture where we are. We're in a heavenly ordinance room watching the enactment of a very important story. Now John also sees, quote, seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Quote, we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. Again, this is the menorah, mm -hmm. the seven-branched candlestick that symbolizes the tree of life, which in turn symbolizes the love of God, right? Now, if you recall from our previous episodes, the menorah also symbolizes the bride, right? right. Uh, so the God and goddess motif is there in the heavenly temple, it's the heavenly parents that we see. Mm -hmm. the, the lamps also represent seven spirits or servants of God. And Joseph Smith says that these represent the servants or the temple workers who have a role in the rites to come. Now remember, we're talking about polyvalent symbols. Right, right. One symbol can stand for many things. Right, right. As the family council starts... Uh, 24 elders encircle the throne. Again, we, we're seeing what happens as, as it happens in a Greek drama. Um, traditionally, in Greek plays, 24 chorus members would enter the stage after the prologue to start the action. Mm. It's, it's interesting, Very interesting. Uh, parallel. Yeah. There were always 24 quorums of priesthood in the temple at Jerusalem. That's another interesting mm connection. These 24 quorums of priests were designated by King David to serve in the temple day and night. 
So historically, the full quorums met in the temple only um, at the feasts of Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles, which were the, quote, the general conferences of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one in spring, one in summer, one in fall. Did you know we used to have a general conference of the church in June? Really? Yeah. As a matter of fact, it was held up until about, oh, 1970 or so. Oh, wow. I remember it. That might explain why John himself was present, because we think he was a priest. Mm. The, um, he wrote himself into the visions as one of the elders who saw the visions, okay? Right, right. Uh, of the Holy of Holies. So it's interesting also. Here's another little sideline. It's interesting to note that when Joseph Smith had the Kirtland Temple built, um, he put 24 pulpits in it Hmm. uh, for the quorum presidencies of the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods. So why were there 24 quorums? Uh, This is about astronomy. The ancient Egyptians were the ones who divided the day into 24 hours. So the 24 quorums of priests are on duty to watch over the world at all times. Oh, wow, that blows my mind. Night and day, 24-7. That blows my mind (laughs) right there. That made all sorts of sense. Yeah. Now, the 24 elders in Revelation are leaders of the royal priesthood, all wearing the white himation, remember, the robe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's worn over one shoulder. Joseph Smith identified them as elders who had been faithful in the work of the ministry and were dead who belonged to the seven churches. Now, remember, the seven churches represent the whole church. So these faithful elders represent all faithful holders of the priesthood. Now, additionally, outside that circle, you have thousands and thousands encircling the throne. Now, they constitute the great council, which met in the presence of Amun, right, at the creation in facsimile number two on the book of Abraham. Now, in the scriptures, stars symbolized the grand council of heavenly hosts. They were the hosts, the word in Hebrew is tzavot, which translate directly as temple workers, Hmm. temple servants. And they surround the throne in concentric circles, like the stars wheeling around the hub of the sky. Now, these... Thousands upon thousands are, according to the book of Abraham, the intelligences that were organized before the world was. These are the children of Heavenly Father and Mother counseling together about the next stage in our eternal journey. So it says in chapter 4, verse 6, that there was before the throne a sea of glass like unto crystal. What was that about? In front of the temple in Jerusalem, there was a giant basin full of water. It was called the Molten Sea, but we would translate it as a a big giant bowl full of water. According to Doctrine and Covenants uh, 130, it stood for, quote, a globe like a sea of glass and fire in the presence of the Lord where all things are manifest, past, present, and future, and are continually before the Lord. It is a great worm and thummum. This may sound facetious, but it's very much like a TV screen in which the Lord can see everything. Uh, uh. 
Now John sees a grand panorama unfold before him, as though on a great screen. That's, that's a quote from a, an expert, Andre Orloff, who knows all about this stuff. He says, as though on a great screen. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Abraham saw the same thing in his apocalypse, uh, where it says, quote, Look now beneath your feet at the firmament and understand the creation on this expanse. And I looked, says Abraham, beneath the firmament at my feet, and I saw the likeness of heaven, the earth and its fruit and its moving things. On this screen, the Holy One showed Adam every generation. Close quote. Now also, um, Isaiah went up in vision before the throne and looked out on the whole of history. So in sum, uh, the sea of glass is like a movie screen portraying the past, present, and future. On the screen, they will see the saints proceed through progressively holier levels to the sacred center, the presence of God. Uh, Just as in facsimile 2, in the book of Abraham, the universe cycles around the divine throne. And the stars, symbolizing the children of God, right, assemble in great concentric circles to watch the story unfold. Just like in the movies, right? In the movie theater. Just like in a movie theater. Now, what do they see on that screen? Um, We're going to talk about that in our next episode. I can't wait. That's exciting. Thanks.